The following is part of the teaching ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel in Barrie, Ontario. We believe firmly in proclaiming the Word of God without apology. For more information about our church, visit our website at harvestberry.ca or email us at info at harvestberry.ca. We trust that this message will challenge and transform you. Amen. All right, you ready for the Word? Exodus 33. All right, let me ask you a question. Do you know, do you know where you're going? Do you, know, do you know where you're going? My hope uh, through this series that we have entitled Bound for Glory, obviously inherent in the title, is this idea of a journey uh, that we're on. And it's actually the intent of this series was to give us some clarity along the way. We're on this journey to enter our eternal rest, to get to the end of the road and to be with God forever and ever in his presence. That is the terminus, the end point of the journey. The point of the series really was to help us get our eyes fixed on that, but then along the way, as we made our way on the journey, to be increasingly faithful to God. And I have it in my mind that if we would have that, if we would have the end destination in in our minds and that we would be faithfully walking with him along the way, that in fact, would you agree with me on this? In fact, our lives would be better. If we were faithful, faithful to him every step of the way, our lives would just very simply be, they would be better. And that's what this series was about. The essential truths that we were seeing in the book of Exodus are really in this staff. You might not have noticed it before, but they were all etched in. All the words that we looked at were etched in, burned into the staff here. And I want to show these uh, to you along the way. These are the principles that we've been looking at in these 10 messages to know his presence and to embrace his purpose and to experience his power and enjoy his provision and celebrate his victory, to receive his grace and live by his wisdom and comprehend his love and accept his discipline. And then in this message today, to see his glory. We want to see the glory of God in our lives. God's glory, if we could define it, is his resplendent beauty or his magnificence. Glory is is the light that actually emanates from God. It's, It's the reflection of the very holiness of our God. It is the grandeur, it is the bigness of God, it is the, and this is the word we're going to use throughout the message, it's the awesomeness of who he is. And I hope that you understand that the glory of God, I've said this before, the glory of God is is easier described than it is defined. And so as we look at Exodus 33 through 40 today and really working through the rest of the book, We're going to see God's glory described for us. And what I know is this, that any genuine follower of Jesus Christ would ask the very same question that Moses asked of God in this passage. Please show me your glory. Please. 
You show me your glory. You should have that inside of you if you genuinely love Christ. Now before we get to the actual outline in your notes, let's, let's see the setup for this message in 33, chapter 33, verse 18. We'll come back to the beginning of 33. But verse 18 now, this is where Moses actually asks the question. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, Yahweh said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me where you shall stand on the rock and while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I've passed by. And then I will take away my hand. You shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Yahweh, God, indulges Moses and and has a desire to actually Answer his question with a yes. I'm going to show you my glory. Squeezing him into a rock cut and shielding him with his, and and please understand, it's not a literal hand, it's metaphorical. He's trying to give us language that we can understand that Moses would have understood at the time. That God was going to somehow cover him and shield him from the full effect of his glory as he passed this spot. And then he would take away that shielding so Moses could just take a glimpse, just a glance at the passing glory at the back, so to speak, of God as he passed. Because it's not something Moses could have handled to see the full glory of God, in fact, as a sinful human being, not himself in his glorified form. He would have been consumed by the awesomeness, by the reflected holiness and the purity of who who God really was. And so, God showed him here, verse 19 says, all of his goodness What Moses experienced in this moment was, was, listen, all as in nothing but God's goodness. For Moses in this moment, everything else in his life, all, all of his surroundings, anything else he was thinking about, it just evaporated in the presence of the goodness of God as God's glory passed by him. The rocks that were around him, Mount Sinai that he was standing on, the air that he was breathing, the people at the bottom of the mountain, all of the cares of his life, all of it evaporated in the moment that the goodness of God passed by him. It was nothing, nothing but goodness in that moment. How I would long for a moment like that. How many times during the week could I get to a place where I would just be, I just wish I wasn't thinking that. I just wish these problems weren't here. I just wish I wasn't tempted. I just wish those influence. I wish I hadn't seen that. I wish I hadn't heard that. 
and we're surrounded by so many things that are not good, but to be in a moment where everything was good and perfect and holy and glorious and everything else was pushed out. I mean, that's even hard for us to imagine. And yet that's exactly what happens to Moses in this moment as God just passes by here. Everything else became unseen and unimportant in the face of his grandeur and his magnificence and his, his awesomeness. Moses saw God's glory. Moses heard the very voice of God. And Moses, imagine it, Moses felt felt the goodness of God, nothing but goodness. And, and, and the effects were obvious, by the way. Over to chapter 34 and verse 29. Everyone knew this had happened to Moses. Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. He came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come near him. And Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward all the people of Israel came near and he commanded the, them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai and when Moses had finished speaking with him he put a veil over his face. The people couldn't handle the glory of God radiating off of him. And all he had seen was the back part of the glory of God, the passing glance of the goodness of God. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord, verse 34, to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of his face was shining, and Moses would put a veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. Bottom line is that people couldn't handle it. Terrified them. Because of their own sinfulness. They weren't quite getting it. They, they weren't understanding everything about their God at this point. And yet there was God's glory shining in their midst. And you know what? You can experience it. You and I can experience the glory of God in our own lives. And you will be ready for it. Your heart will be prepared if, if, first of all, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. See, the glory of God is something that we desire, but it is a terrifying thing if you have any sin in your life. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you haven't been cleansed by the blood of Christ, and then listen, uh, the glory of God is not going to be in your life in a great way. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then there are some things that you can do to prepare your heart to be ready to receive the glory of Christ in your life. There's some things you need to get right. You'll see the awesomeness of God, and now we're to the outline. You'll see the awesomeness of God if first you're humble before him. Are you humble before him? Okay, back to the beginning of chapter 33. Now we'll work through this. The Lord said to Moses, depart, 
Uh, Go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore, swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, to your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you. I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up among you. lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. The people have been given the order to move out. It's time to depart from Sinai and to make your way to the promised land. The purpose for being at Sinai was now accomplished in that God had given Moses the law and the law was delivered to the people Now for sure they had had this little setback with the golden calf and Moses had had taken the tablets and smashed them on the ground. So there was a kind of a little thing that needed to happen first. All this meant that while the people were kind of loading up the minivans getting ready to go, Moses had to go back up to Sinai and, and with tablets he had carved out now and get the Lord to kind of write out the Ten Commandments again for him. But then God says this really shocking thing just as they're getting ready to go. I will not go with you. You're, you're going to be on your own uh, pretty much from here on out. It wasn't a wholesale abandoning of them, but it was a moving from a time where the manifest presence of God, what he's saying to them is, the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire, all the crazy miraculous stuff I did for you in Egypt, that kind of stuff's not gonna really happen in the same way anymore. My physical presence, the very evident I'm with you kind of thing, that's not gonna happen. Verse two, he says, I'm gonna send an angel before you There is an assurance that he's still going to be the one that's going to defeat their enemies or at least involved in driving out their enemies. But but in his mind, things needed to change. And verse 4, the first part there, shows how the people felt about this. I hope you're feeling this yourself. Notice that the people felt that this was a disaster. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned. They were beside themselves with fear and with sorrow. Why is, why is God doing this? I mean, this really, for all of us, this would be our greatest fear that God had abandoned us. And he wasn't with us anymore. I think there's an element here. Partly he's still punishing them. There's still discipline being leveled on them as a result of their rebelliousness. He says they're a stiff-necked people. That's part of it. I don't think that's the biggest part. I think mostly God is doing this because the glory of God is the manifest beauty of his holiness. I think it was John Piper who said that the glory of God is the going public of his holiness. And the very reason he was not going to continue to manifest his presence among them as he did was because, was because his, his glory is the manifest presence of his holiness and his holiness can't abide the sin that was in the people. In essence, a God is saying to them, in more familiar terms, God is saying to them, I'm out of here because if I stay around, someone's gonna die. 
And this too, in a crazy kind of way, is an expression of his love for them. He wanted them to make it to the promised land. He wanted them to get to the end of the journey. But he knew if he stayed with them, if he kept going with them, they would continue to rebel. Their hearts would turn from him. Even though he was fulfilling his end of the bargain and keeping covenant with them, they would consistently violate the covenant. And his holiness and his glory would demand discipline upon them. So he pulled himself back. He wanted them to make it to the end. Now what's really important for us as we see all of this is how the people respond to God when he presses them about this. Notice, when the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and, and no one put on his ornaments. The, the, the jewelry that they would wear and the way that they would dress. For the Lord had said to Moses, say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments. They took off their jewelry from Mount Horeb onward, from Sinai all the way to the promised land. They didn't wear any jewelry. They didn't put any ornaments on. They weren't splashy. They weren't kind of parading around going, look at us. We're the people of Israel. We're awesome. Look at all the jewelry we have on. It was really a reflection of where their hearts were at that they thought they were all that. And God's saying they're not. The problem with you is you don't understand your place, God is saying. You need to know your place. You need to get humble before the Lord. And really God saying that he was not gonna go with them anymore was, was really a message to shock them into that to get them to understand what their place really should be. So then look at this. Moses gets back with the Lord and uh, verses seven through 11 really speak to the very unique relationship that God had with Moses. In fact, verse 11 says the Lord used to speak to Moses as a face-to-face as a man speaks to a friend, which is so unique and special. And so verse 12, Moses says to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me, yet you have said, I know you by name, and you've also found favor in my sight. Moses is gonna, again, as he's done before, rationally argue, push back on the Lord, seeking to get him to change the course that the Lord has set out. Verse 13, now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, notice how humble Moses is even as he does this, please show me now your ways, See, if there's something I don't know, Lord, please tell me. What a great way to pray, right? I'm praying for this, but God, if there's something I don't get, show me that. If there's something about this I don't understand and I'm not seeing, could you help me see it and give me wisdom so I can pray the right thing? If I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. God responds to him now in verse 14. And he said, Yahweh said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Okay, Moses, I've heard what you said. It's amazing. You're right. So I will go with you after all. 
Well, Moses, it's like he didn't hear this. So Moses has made his first few arguments. The Lord agrees with him. But Moses is going, you know, I got, I got a few more arguments kind of loaded up here. So I'm going to give you the rest of them, Lord, verse 15. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And he finishes the argument, and I'm so glad he did. Because what he says right here is the thing that makes us so completely unique from anyone else on the face of the planet. The presence of the Lord is the one thing that distinguishes us from anyone else. It's the one thing that distinguished Israel from all other nations. If they set out from Sinai and made their way to the promised land and tried to fight their way in and take all of those nations and claim that land as their own, they would have been no different than the Moabites or, or the Midianites or the Egyptians or the Canaanites that they were trying to conquer. They would have been exactly the same. The thing that made them different was that Yahweh was with them in their midst. Moses wasn't wrong here, not at all. He had it perfectly right. He very humbly and respectfully persuaded the Lord. Verse 17, the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. What makes the people of God stand out in the world, and I'm, I'm talking about us now, Let's just set Israel aside for now, but they are the people of God and we're the people of God and there's only one people of God. We're seeking here as Harvest Bible Chapel to be what we call a vertical church, which means the glory of God's at the center of everything. That if we're not pleasing God, not glorifying him, if he's not the one in control of it all, if his presence isn't being felt, then let's just shut down the doors and forget everything else and move on with our lives. We want God's glory and his power to be in evidence in the midst of his people and in every part of this ministry. That's what we're about. And that's the thing. The presence of God right here in the midst of the church, that's the one and only thing that makes us distinct in the world. We think sometimes that the thing that makes us distinct is our morality. That we have a list of things we don't do. We have a list of things we do that somehow in our morality that we're such quote-unquote good people, that that's the thing that makes us distinct. And, and in actual fact, there are people outside of these walls who are not part of the church who are more moral than we are. In fact, evangelical believers sometimes blow the morality thing pretty quickly. If we're trying to claim our morality is the thing that makes us distinct, we're a joke. It's not our morality. It's definitely not that. It's, it's not our good works. We, we, think that, we think it's our good works that are doing it. We do most of our good works just inside the church, which is great, showing love for one another. We're having trouble uh, reaching 5,000 hours. We're not particularly good all the time at doing good works outside of here and demonstrating to the world the love of Christ. There are a lot of other people outside of this church who are doing good works better than we do them. It's not our morality that makes us distinct. It's not our good works that makes us distinct. It's not even our worship. 
There are plenty of other people worshiping other gods, other small G gods around the world who are more devoted, more passionate to their worship, giving more of their time to it, and affecting their life more wholeheartedly and completely than our worship affects us. It's, it's not our morality, it's, it's not our good works, and it's not our worship that makes us distinct. It's not our generosity. Why, well, I think that in some respects we're generous, but I don't think we're the most generous people. And there are a lot of people who don't name the name of Jesus Christ who give far greater amounts and greater percentages of their income to charitable efforts. It's not our generosity. What makes us distinct has nothing to do with us and has everything to do with the Lord. It's the fact that he's, he's with us. It's the, what's been called the manifest presence of God, the evident presence of God in our midst. It's the single most defining characteristic of both the individual follower of Christ and of the local church. When Jesus Christ uh, gave his life, he, he came uh, to this earth, took on human form. He gave his life as a sacrifice on the cross. He was buried um, and uh, resurrected on the third day. And then he ascended to heaven. And before he ascended, he, he said, I'm going to send you the helper. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And you will receive, this is in Acts chapter 1, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And the indwelling Holy Spirit in the midst of each individual follower of Christ and the very presence of the Holy Spirit in the midst of the church of Jesus Christ, the local church, that's the thing that makes us distinct. And all of this tucked under the idea that we have to be humble before him. Because the evidence of God's presence is only seen in humble people and humble churches. It's only seen when we take off the jewelry and the ornaments and all of the things that point to us and say, look how awesome we are. Look how much we have it together. Look at what we're doing. We have to stop doing anything that makes it about us. I'll tell you what we're going for here as a church and, and what we should be going for as individual Christ followers is this thing that Don Cousins said in his book. I think the book is called Unexplainable. God wants to do the inconceivable, the uncommon, the unexpected, the remarkable, the incomprehensible so that he, God, is the only explanation for what occurs in our lives. You see, look, here's the thing. I want, I want God to be the only explanation for what's happening at harvest. And I want God to be the only explanation for what's happening in your life. And humility is not itself, don't confuse this, humility is not the thing that makes you distinct. Humility is the thing that opens up space in your life for the presence of God to enter in. And that's the thing that makes you distinct. That's the thing that allows the glory of God to shine in your life.
So you'll see the awesomeness of God if you're humble before him. And then look at this next. Uh, You're attentive to his word. So when we have a, like a long passage like this, eight chapters to get through, and you're all wondering how we're gonna do that, we're gonna cover seven chapters right now. And what we saw um, in a message a couple weeks ago in um, chapters 25 through 31 by way of instructions about how the tabernacle is supposed to be put together, and the tabernacle is important because it represented the place where God dwelled amongst his people, So what we saw in 25 through 31, that now gets fulfilled in chapters 34 through 40. And so you're gonna see some repetition here if you're reading through the entire book. And and all of this, though, what we see in this is how attentive the people were to the word of God that was being spoken to them. They were eager to get on it and obey the thing that God was saying. And so by attentive to his word, I'm really saying this, and I'm gonna give you five words that are gonna help us understand what it means to be attentive to the word of God. Ready for them? Uh, word number one is, is listening to it. I need to be listening to it. And that just makes sense. that it, You're in the room right now, so that's great. You're listening to the proclamation of the word of God. That's a good thing. When you're reading it for yourself, you're also listening to it. But listening isn't enough. Listening is just an acknowledgement that it's going in my ears and I'm hearing it. That's why we need the next step in this. Uh, after I've listened to it, I'm actually thinking about it. Now I'm actually processing it. I'm I'm hearing it for understanding, and I I get it. But even though I listen to it, and even though I think about it, it doesn't necessarily mean that I believe it yet. And before we can get to any step where I would believe it, listen, think, here's the third word, consider. I need to be considering it. I'm considering it now. I'm actually moving from thoughts to the will of, Um, that I have to decide whether or not I'm going to believe the thing that I'm listening to and that I'm thinking about. And then having considered it, I get to that place where in my will, with my volition, I'm actually going to accept the claims that I'm hearing. I'm going to choose to believe this. I'm now accepting the word of God in my life. And once I accept it and, and I'm believing it, well, then that's just one more step. And in fact, it leads us right into living it out. That the word of God is actually transforming my life. It's changing me. And when I have this going on in my life, I just realize I'm not the same person I was before I heard the word of God. That's certainly true for me. Uh, from the time that I heard the gospel, for the first time that I actually understood it and considered it and accepted it and believed it and it changed my life. But then every step of the way in in the last uh, 35 years plus, um, am am I the same person I was last year? I hope not. Not for all the word of God that I've heard and, and, and I've I've listened to and I've thought about it and I've considered it in my life and I've accepted it and and it's changing me. I'm living it out as best I can. I'm not the same person I was a year ago or a month ago or even hopefully a week ago. That's what I mean by, by us being attentive to the word of God and there will be no glory of God in our lives if we're not attentive to his word. And so chapter 34, now the beginning, the Lord says to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets uh, which you broke. The humor's all built it right into the text. Which you broke. 
Uh, be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you. Let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. Uh, let no flocks or herds graze uh, opposite that mountain. Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first and he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai and the Lord had com- as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand two tablets of stone and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, this is God saying this about himself and saying his own name. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And look at Moses' response to this because this is an appropriate response to the hearing of God's word. Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. That's how we should hear the word of God. That I get low before him and I humble myself before him because I'm attentive to the word of God and what needs to change and how am I going to live my life now? And then worshiping the Lord, attributing everything to him. And Moses said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us for it is a stiff-necked people. Pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance confession of sin and a plea for God to continue to be with them. And God then responds, behold, I'm making a covenant before all the people. I will do marvels such as not been created in all the earth or in any nation. God again throwing the blanket of the covenant over them and all the people among whom you are Um, among whom you are, shall see the work of the Lord. Then get this underlined. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. How great is that promise? Despite their rebellions, despite their their challenges with being obedient to what God had, had said and all their doubts, God still says to them, it's an awesome thing that I'm gonna do with you. And I want us to latch on to this promise. I want us to hear it and take it away from, from this place and, and, and tenaciously hold on to what God is saying to each of us in this moment. Because I need to hear this. Because I, I identify too closely with the Israelites here. I'm, I'm way too quick to rebel against the Lord and my thoughts are constantly drifting. And how many times have I been the one who's gone back to the Lord again with a prayer of repentance? I did it again, Lord, and I said I wouldn't, and I did, or I said I was going to do this, and I didn't. My sin is just so before me all the time. And he says to me, It's an awesome thing that I'm going to do with you, Todd. It's an awesome thing. Are you stunned by that? I have a feeling that you're not much different than me, that you've been to the Lord a thousand times about the same sin issue, that your rebellions keep coming up again and again. 
that you're struggling with the same things. And rather than walking around defeated, you have to hear what God is saying to you this morning. It's an awesome thing I'm gonna do in your life. And I want you to believe that. I'm gonna show my glory in your life. When we're attentive to his word, we're believing and we're accepting the promises that he says to us in addition to the commands. And then in verse 11, he actually switches us to that, to the commands. Verse 11, he tells us, this is the way you're gonna get it. It's the way that things are gonna happen for you. Observe what I command you this day. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna drive out all those people. I want you to to be faithful to me, to not worship other gods, verse 14. And he highlights, for the next several verses, he highlights the law and his word. And then as we kind of flip through the rest of Exodus, you're gonna see how we get through this now. Chapter 35 is about Sabbath and, and taking rest and honoring the Lord in this way. And, and at least a good part of the reason why Israel would later, hundreds of years later, go into exile in Babylon was because they had violated the Sabbath. A good gift that he had given to them. You don't need to work every day. You're gonna take one off every week and rest. They forgot that. They didn't take the gift that God had given to them and so God sent them into exile. Verse chapter 35, uh, four through 29 speak about the offerings for the tabernacle. And again, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when the instructions were given, but here they actually carry it out and they, they actually take uh, the offering. Moses said to all the congregation, 35, four, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution uh, to the Lord, Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution. And he lists all the things that they need. Speaks to the craftsmen in verse 10 about giving their gifts and their skills to the Lord. Verse 21, they came, everyone whose heart stirred them. This was coming right out of their hearts. They felt compelled to do this. They brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, for all its service, for the holy garments. They came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, verse 22 says. Verse 24, everyone who could make a contribution, and again, it's listed there. Verse 29, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. I just wrote down three words here about giving that I think would be helpful to us. First of all, it was generous. I talked about this again two weeks ago. But they were so generous that the leaders needed to stand up and tell them to stop giving. And so instead of a family chat like we had to do here today where we're saying, I need you to keep giving and keep being faithful right to the finish line before they ever got to the finish line, the leaders were coming to them saying, okay, no offerings anymore. We're stopping. We're stopping. Words pastors have never spoken, but we wish that we could. A generous, that's the first word, a willing, it, it came out of their hearts. Now I know I've put a bit of a push on here today for you to be faithful right to the end, but here I wanna, I wanna give you all an out right now. If you don't want to give, if you don't want to give, don't give. Don't give. 
It's not biblical. In fact, you'd be disobeying the Lord if you gave, gave under compulsion. If you felt forced or coerced into it, you would be disobeying the Lord in that. I don't want you to disobey the Lord. So if you don't want to give, don't give. Our giving should be generous and it should be willing. And in fact, verse 24 makes it clear, it should be sacrificial. It should, be, it should hurt a little bit and I should be giving something that I would maybe rather keep for myself. Use in a different way. And when we talk about sacrificial giving, it means for some of us, I'm not going to be able to do that or I'm not going to be able to keep that. I'm going to have to sell that or I'm, I'm not going to be able to go on that vacation or whatever it is. It's sacrificial. It's going to, it's going to pinch a little bit when I give it. Those are really the three words that come out of this. And if we want to be attentive to God's word, and I believe we do, and I think those three words help us understand this most basic part of our walk with Christ, which is our giving. And then really from chapter 37 through 40, again, all of this under this title of attentive to God's word, you can flip through these pages. We have the building of the Ark of the Covenant. We have the building of the table of the presence that the bread would be on, uh, the golden lampstand, the altar of incense, the altar for the burnt offerings, the bronze basin, the outer cord, the priestly garments, and the final putting of it all together in what was known as the tabernacle. That's how you preach through seven chapters. Did you get that? And then we read this, and you should turn here to chapter 39, verse 32. Thus all the work of the tabernacle, the tent of meeting was finished and the people of Israel did according to all the Lord had commanded Moses. So they did. When you hear the word of God, could that be said of you? So, so they did. So he did. So she did. They just did it. They did the word of God and obeyed him. In every detail, they were attentive to his word. And again, how are you doing with that? You see, there's not going to be any glory in your life. There's not going to be any awesomeness of God happening in your life, in your family, or in this church if you're not fired up about the Bible. You have to be fired up about the Bible, the Word of God. This glory is what God has given to us, this end goal, this thing we're striving towards. This is the thing that we're longing for, whether we understand that longing or not. This is the thing that God wants to satisfy in us through his very own presence in our lives. Whatever else you're pursuing to try and get that sense of satisfaction in your life, I'm going to tell you, it's going to end up empty for you. You say, I have some dreams for my life that don't quite align with this. I'm going to tell you, even if you achieve your dreams, when you get to the end of the journey, if you've achieved your dreams, you're going to look in your hands and you're going to have nothing. There's going to be nothing there. Because the only thing that's going to satisfy you is the glory of God, his presence, his goodness in your life. You'll see the awesomeness of God if you're humble before him and you're attentive to his word and you're actually bound for glory. Turn to the final paragraph of the book of Exodus, chapter 40, verse 34. We read that the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle there. And no matter where they went on their journey, 
God's presence and his glory were right there with them. And we could say that the glory of God is in everyone who believes, anyone who follows Christ, and he goes everywhere that they go. Wherever you go, he's gonna be with you. But that really begs the question, a final question for this series, are you bound for glory? Are you part of God's people? And I really need to say this on a message about the glory of God so that there's absolutely no confusion about any of this. This message is not a do these things and you'll see God's glory. Don't do these things and you won't see God's glory. In fact, let me be clear, every human being is going to see the glory of God. And if you're a child of God, if you're a son or daughter of his, you've given your life to him, then you will see his glory and it will be a glorious thing for you. You'll enter into your final rest and you'll be with the Lord forever. But if that's not your story, if you've not surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have a bit of a problem. On that day when his glory is revealed, you will see it, but you won't be as happy about it as others will be who know him. For those who do not have a relationship with Yahweh, his glory will be a stream of fire flowing from his throne to consume all those who are still in their sin. Those who did not repent, those who looked casually and indifferently on the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, those who even looked with hostility on the offer of forgiveness that came from Christ those who spurned the gift of God's own son, who spurned the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his blood shed on the cross for you. You heard it and you closed your ears and your heart to it. You've remained in your rebellion and you will see God's glory and it will be a consuming fire and you will be separated for all eternity from the God who only wanted to love you, who wanted to do an awesome thing in your life. I want you to see his glory. I want all of us to be prepared to see his glory. And if you're humble before him and attentive to his word, you will be bound for glory. Let's pray together. God, first let me, um, let me express our gratitude for the promise that we have that you want to do an awesome thing in our lives and reveal your glory to us. Thank you for the salvation that many of us in this room have uh, through Jesus Christ. Help us, Father, along the journey not to deviate to the right or to the left, but to remain faithful to you and, and know that that's the way of blessing in this life and beyond. But Father, we would pray, as Moses prayed so many times, interceding on behalf of the people who were so rebellious, that we would pray, those of us who are Christ followers right now, we've knit our hearts together to plead with you for those in this room and those in our lives 
who don't yet know you and who are still in their sin. Father, that in this moment, on this morning, they would surrender themselves to Christ right now and would begin the journey to your glory. Thank you, Father, for hearing this prayer and for this series. Continue to press these truths, every one of them, deeply into our hearts. Pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for listening. We always love hearing about the work God's doing in our listeners. If God's been doing a work in you, send us an email at info at And remember, you are loved.